0: Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well,
1: tonight we are continuing with the series uh, Love Story and. Uh, we've been talking about what it looks like to submit our love story to God's greater story. And so we are continuing in that series tonight. And we're going to do uh, a, a, well, a message tonight called the story of sex. And what we're going to look at is what the Bible has... To... Yeah, I got a woohoo on that one, all right. <laughs> we're going to look and see what the Bible has to say about the topic of sex in Scripture. But before we get into that, let me tell you a story about a podcast I listened to years ago. Some of you have heard me share this before. Years ago, I was listening to a an episode of a podcast uh, called Radio Lab. I don't know if you've ever listened to Radio Lab, but Radio Lab is a podcast that um, is a science podcast, and it just takes different topics and it unfolds the topic uh, for about forty five minutes to an hour. And the topic of this day was the topic of colors. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? And so the, it was about colors, and they were talking about uh, how different animals can see differently based on the number of cone or color receptors or cones that they have in their eye. And so they start off, they talk about how dogs have two color receptors. Did you know that? They only have two color receptors, a blue color receptor and a green color receptor. And so they don't see many colors. They're all technically colorblind. Your dog is colorblind. Did you know that? So... You can see like blue, blue, green, green, you know, and that's about it. But we as humans, we are blessed. We are blessed because we have something called a red color receptor, which, get this, that one color receptor changes how many colors we can see to, or gives us 98 more colors because we have one more color receptor. Is that incredible or what? I mean, when's the last time you thanked God for your red color receptor? Yes, a round of applause to the Lord for that red color receptor. I mean, how much more exciting is your life? Because you have a red color. So if you don't know what to thank God for, say, God, thank you for my red color receptor. Okay, all right. All right. That's not all. That's not all. Okay, go ahead. Next slide. Um, this is a butterfly. Do you guys know that a butterfly has six color receptors? I mean, can you imagine what the world looks like through that butterfly's eyes? I mean, how many new colors do they see that we don't see? For, for instance, uh, there is the color of ultraviolet that apparently they see that we don't see, that we don't know what it looks like, so don't ask me, what is ultraviolet? I don't know because I can't see. That's a point, right? And many, many other colors that they can see that we can't see because they have six colorists. I mean, just think how big their Crayola box must be, you know? <laughs> Okay. It doesn't stop there though. Okay, go ahead, next slide. Does anybody know what this thing is? That's a mantis shrimp. That is a bad little boy. That mantis shrimp is a bad that thing is bad. Okay. Strong. Strong. Okay. Do you know how many color receptors a mantis shrimp has in its eyes? Those little eyes right there? Get ready, get ready. Sixteen color receptors. Sixteen. Color receptors. So could you imagine going snorkeling? What the heck? (laughs) What is seas when it's just swimming around the ocean? I mean, I would just love to go snorkeling for one hour with the eyes of a mantis shrimp. Incredible. Why am I telling you that? So you can just be amazed at God's creation? Well, maybe, but that's not all. Okay. The reason why I'm telling you that is this. Because there are aspects of reality that you cannot perceive but are nonetheless a part of reality. I mean, you don't have the the gear to perceive it, but it it doesn't make it any less real. And what we're going to see is that Scripture is going to tell us that there are aspects, there are colors, if you will, to sex that you cannot perceive with your eye, but are nonetheless still real and consequential for your life. And so what we're going to look at, see the, color, the culture basically says this, that, that sex is like a monochromatic reality, it's just biological, and so uh, since we have the pill, and since we have antibiotics, there's no reason not to have sex because we've dealt with the, the one color of sex, and so that's the way the culture has dealt with it. But the Bible gives us a very, very different look at it. It says, no, 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 there's many dimensions to the reality of sex, it's a multicolor reality. And so the Bible doesn't put limitations on sex because it has a low view of sex, like that's just something you tolerate whenever somebody gets married. No, it actually has such a high view of sex that it puts limitations on it because it knows how powerful and significant and consequential sexual activity can be that it has to safeguard it because it has so many dimensions and realities to it so we're going to look at the powerful significant realities so what we're going to do is we're going to start in Genesis we're going to work our way to the New Testament we're going to talk a little bit then we're going to get really practical and I'm going to tell a story when it's going to be done and Amy's going to share something. so there we go so we're going to start in Genesis Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 this is a verse that we actually read our very first week of this series and this is an editorial comment at the end of the creation narrative. At the end of the creation narrative, uh, the, the writer of Genesis gives us this editorial comment for Israel and for all of God's people that would follow after and says this, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Okay, so what we get in this one verse is we are introduced to the reality of sex within the intended uh, context, and that is marriage. We're introduced to it in the context of marriage. And it uses the word unite, which, which has this idea of sticking together, being glued together, if you will. I thought about doing an illustration of so this, I decided not to, but this idea of gluing, t- I wouldn't go and glue people together. Okay, but anyway, sorry but gluing together and and then it ends with one flesh and, and and the power of the words that are used to speak of one flesh is really significant it's John Mark Comer talks about how when one is put next to flesh the one is the same when it says the Lord thy God is one it it, it speaks of the fusing together of lives at the deepest levels As one person said, to share your body is to share your soul. It's this merging of the deepest level of people's lives, the fusing together of two into one. And so just basically from this verse, you get a quick definition of sex. And it's this. This is a biblical view of sex. That it's a life-uniting act that's intended for a life-united covenant. It's a life-uniting act intended for a life united covenant now that's where the bible starts it's not where the bible ends if you keep reading and you read through the old testament you get to this book called song of songs which is a book that really frankly is all about the celebration of romantic love and uh and sexual love if you will and it's in the middle of the old testament and in fact uh Jewish young men weren't allowed to read it until they came of age because it was seen as kind of erotic literature, if you will. And you're like, why is it? It's there to celebrate and to affirm the reality of uh, sexual romantic love. Okay. Um, But in the midst of that book of Song of Songs, it's poetry, uh, there's a a, a verse that is repeated three times. And so I want to show you this this verse it's repeated three times this is about a, a a woman who is writing and responding to her man who is her husband and and this is what she says daughters of jerusalem i charge you do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires in other words, yes, there's a celebration and affirmation of, of, of sex and of romantic love, but make sure that you respect it. Make sure that you wait till the proper time in the proper place so there are no shadows and it's only blessing when you step into this reality. So, over and over again, daughters of Jerusalem, in other words, young ladies, can I just put, daughters of UVA, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Three times that affirmation is given because of the power and the significance of the reality of sex. And then the Apostle Paul picks up in 1 Corinthians 6, and that's where we're going to be for the rest of our time. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6, and, and we're doing the arc of Scripture. into. So if you have your Bibles, please... Open up there, First Corinthians 6, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. And what we're going to see is, uh, Paul is writing to a, a very highly sexualized culture, I know you can't relate to that, but um, just try to put yourself in that position for a moment, that sees sex pretty much as just a, a monochromatic reality, it's just a, 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 it, it's just a biological thing. And we're going to start in verse 13, and I'm going to read all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 20, so follow along uh, with me if you will. Here's what it says. The Apostle Paul writes to the church, he says this, he quotes them, the food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. In other words, what was going on is they're like, hey, people eat because they get hungry, we have sex because we want to have sex, and it's just an appetite just like every other physical appetite. It's no big deal. That was what they were saying in that day. And they're like, so, it, so don't get so worked up about it. And then it says this, the body, and Paul's response to quoting them, and they say, and God will destroy them, uh, destroy one and the other. And then Paul says, no, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord... For the body, verse 14, and God raised the Lord and he will raise up us by by his power. In other words, your bodies do matter. God's going to raise it. And then verse 15, he says this phrase three times in this passage. Don't you know? In other words, there's things, there are colors and realities that they are not considering as they look at their sexual ethic And he says, don't you know the reality of this? He says, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, and this may sound familiar, the two will become one flesh. Does that sound familiar? That's a hyperlink back to Genesis 2.24. Let's keep reading. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one with him. And then he says this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. In other words, there is a unique impact that sexual sin has on us. It cuts deeper. It causes greater pain than some other sin and so he's warning and then he closes with this or don't you know that your body's a temple of the holy spirit when you whom you are, are with is a i'm sorry or don't you know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from the lord are you are not your own you were bought with a price so glorify god with your body so Paul is profoundly concerned how these, the church in Corinth, in the midst of this highly sexualized culture, lives and lives out their sexuality. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few moments looking at three realities. One, the impact that sexual sin has on the person who sins, the impact it has on their walk with God, and the impact it has on the relationship they're in. So we're going to spend some moments with that, and then we're going to get really, really practical. Okay, So first of all, the impact that it has on the person who sins. He says, don't you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. What Paul is picking up is that when you have sexual interaction, when you have sex with somebody, that you are uniting your body with them in a way that is highly, highly bonding and significant. He isn't just saying, don't you know that when you have physical when you join your bodies physically, you join your bodies physically. That would be a redundancy, right? So he's speaking of something deeper and more profound and at a deeper level than that. This mysterious and hard to pinpoint but significant reality of one flesh. Tim Keller put it this way, that when you have sex, you make a self-donation. That you are giving something of yourself and receiving something from the other person. Sex is this reality that bridges body and soul together. And that is the biblical view that we get. Now, I've always found this interesting that Paul talks about having sex with a prostitute. And, of course, in that day there were many temple prostitutes, so prostitution ran rampant. And what was so peculiar to me or significant to me maybe the better way to say it is that when he speaks of having sex to a prostitute he is speaking about the most casual sex that somebody could ever have if there was ever sex that was intended to be casual and non-profound it would be sex with a prostitute where both parties are doing something that's very transactional with no intention of bonding themselves together and Paul takes, uh, takes that scenario and says that is profound even when it's not intended to be That even sex with a prostitute is profound. Why? Because of the nature of sex. It's a life-uniting act intended for a life-united covenant. And when you pull it outside of that context, when you pull it outside of its true nature, it's going to be extremely consequential. Okay, so how does it impact people? Well, let me just say it this way. That when you pull sex outside of the intended context or try to deny its nature, it will lead to emotional wounds. You open yourself up for wounding. Um, I have read many sociologists on this topic over the last 20 years. I've not read one sociologist that says, oh yeah, the more sex partners, the more you flourish. I haven't read any of it. You know what I've read? over and over, is the more partners that you have, the more likely you're going to struggle with mental health and emotional concerns. Because it doesn't lead to flourishing. But all the studies that I have read over the years push it in the other direction. Push us in the other direction because of the wounds that we carry from our, emo- our sexual um, experiences outside of the proper context in fact what I know is this is that when people have crossed into sexual activity that it is that much harder to break up that people will stay in relationships longer than they should have because they don't want to face the pain of breaking up I I'll share my story at the end I was somebody who that was me and I was in a relationship probably a year and a half longer than I should have been. I knew I shouldn't be in the relationship, but because we'd crossed boundaries to break up, felt like the pulling apart like a ripping, because we were so bound together that when we broke up, it was it, I, I, I've never been divorced, thankfully. hopefully I never will be. that's the <laughs> hope. Uh, um, but I, I said it probably felt more like a divorce than it did than it felt like just going separate directions. Because we had bound ourselves together and tied our, 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 our lives together, body and soul, that when we went another part, it was profoundly painful. And I didn't want to face that pain, so it took me a long time to get up the courage and the gumption to go in a different direction and to break that relationship off. And so whenever we walk in chastity, and, and here, go ahead and put up the, the next slide, the benefit is we protect our hearts and our wholeness, that we are, we are protecting ourselves, As Paul says, when we, sin against, when we enter into sexual sin, we sin against our own bodies. And so we are the ones who are blessed by uh, walking in chastity. So, okay, Amy's going to come talk about our relationship with God, and then I'll come back.
0: That's right. Yes. So sexual sin also deeply impacts our relationship with God that in, it impacts our relationship with God in really kind of two major ways. So first, you know, God desires for us to have vibrant, healthy, growing relationship with him and to be really sensitive to his Holy Spirit. That's the beautiful picture of God's heart and desire for relationship with us. And sexual sin compromises that. It compromises our connection with God and our sensitivity to the Spirit. That um, we see, because on the forward side, in verse 17, God's heart, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So when we have sexual sin and we struggle with that, that brings us um, in that compromising place where we're not as sensitive to the spirit and we feel this disconnect. And I experienced this in college, I experienced this in my sexual sin, that I would be in my relationship with God, and then I'd be struggling in this area. I'd fall, I'd repent, I'd probably wrestle around with God a little bit, and then come back, receive God's forgiveness, and then go along, and then again, fall, wrestle a little bit, repent. And I was in this like cyclical, internal world, spiritually, that was so draining. And I just felt like I was in this spiritual triage that I was just kind of bandaging myself over and over and over again, like this little internal hamster wheel. And so in that, I wasn't thriving spiritually. I wasn't growing. I wasn't being sensitive to the Spirit to be outside of myself missionally. Like, it was just deeply impacting my life and my relationship with God. So that's the first one. The second piece of that is that, as well, sexual sin has a really unique weight of guilt and shame that the truth is that when God forgives us of our sexual sin, the truth is is that we are truly forgiven. But there's also this additional dynamic that the enemy holds this over us, and there's just a weightiness to this that's unique, that um, it's a lie, but it is a reality, which is also in my reality of in this internal cycle that I was in, the weight of this, my sexual sin just felt like it was defining me and that it was like a monument to my failure, which was where I was, but yet as well in the journey with God, God brought me out of that. And some of you in this room are probably where I was stuck in that cycle and what we're hoping is that tonight could be your night for a total change for that of God's restoration and his healing and freedom that you will fully experience the freedom that God has for you um, that you are forgiven and that you will experience that and so on the on the positive side when we're when we are sexually pure that's where we are able to have a thriving, vibrant, sensitive relationship with the Spirit, and we're able to walk in the freedom of God's forgiveness and wellness in Him.
1: And then finally, I just want to talk briefly about the impact it has on the compromised relationship. Um, I'll throw up a few few bullet points. One is when sex enters into the relationship and the relationship is compromised, that quickly the relationship's growth is stunted. Um, I that, why? Because the, the power of the sexual activity just starts to take over and it's easier to make out than to communicate, right? And so it, when it starts to, uh, to, to overflow the, the bounds it should have, it, um, it, it can stunt the growth of the relationship. One sociologist said this, the longer sex is delayed, the more participants in the study reported better communication, stability, and relational satisfaction, in other words, if you want to bless your relationship, then postpone sex. Secondly is this, it clouds objectivity. As Andy Stanley said, nothing masks relational dysfunction like sexual involvement. That when you're sexually um, engaged, it will cause you to not be objective in the relationship because uh, of the bonds that have formed, because of the um, the, the because of the sexual interactions you're having, that you will minimize other things. And let me tell you this, there is no marriage that will be able to be carried by sex. But all the things that, that it masks are the things that you will want and will carry your marriage. And then finally, it squelches spiritual intimacy in a relationship. How many of you want to have a, a Jesus-centered marriage? How many people say, I, that's what I want. I want to have a, a Christ-centered marriage. Can I tell you how to get a Christ-centered marriage? Have a Christ-centered dating relationship that will lead to a Christ-centered marriage. And here's what I know, that when sexual activity starts in a relationship, it will squelch the spiritual intimacy because you're gonna have a hard time talking about Jesus when you know your very relationship is not consistent with what he desires. I remember giving these things years ago and with this one guy, he came up to me, he's like, Pete, you are so right. He said, when we started having sex, our growth stopped. We, we clouded our, I mean, he just went boom, 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 right through it. And he's like, and then we stopped talking about Jesus because it was all about sex because it was just easier than, than talking. You know, anyways, the, the point being, these things will actually preempt the flourishing of the relationship if, it, uh, if, if they come out of the proper context. So the benefit is simply this, is that purity now builds a better foundation for your relationship later. So, culture says it's just physical. But the Bible says that there's a multicolor reality to the nature of sex, and that when you pull it out of its intended context, when you see it as a monochromatic reality, that it has ramifications emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and relationally. In other words, there really is no way no area that really causes you to flourish. Um, St. Augustine, uh, I don't know if you know his story, but he was a young man who had uh, kind of cast off restraint when he went to college, and and then he came back to the Lord, and I I was reading a a biography on him, and, and the author gave this beautiful picture he says he said saint augustine experiences what we often experience that what used to look like walls hemming us in speaking of god's law and god's boundaries around where sex is um, beautiful and causes flourishing and where it's not and where it causes pain he says what used to look like god's wall hemming us in actually now looks like scaffolding holding us together I thought, what a beautiful picture, that that's what God's intention is with sexual ethics. He's not just trying to, uh, to, to minimize too much fun. What he's trying to do is to give a scaffolding that will hold us together, not wall us in. And so I just have a simple question, and the question is this. Will you submit your sexuality to the lordship of Christ? Will you submit your sexuality to the lordship of Christ? Um, we're going to get practical for a few minutes. Let's talk about how do we live this out in a dating relationship. Um, every one of us in here needs to have guardrails around our the physical side of our relationship. Let, let, let me give you a definition of guardrails. Guardrails are standards of behavior that becomes convictions about what will and will not be involved in your dating relationship. So standards of behavior that become convictions because guardrails are these things that protect you from the ditch, right? Right? There are things that keep you out of the ditch where, where destructive things happen. So we wanna have guardrails that give us a that, that define our, our behaviors that will become our convictions about what will and won't be a part of our dating relationships. And I just put this in there, if you wait till the moment of decision to make a decision, you'll make a bad decision. Can you guys say that with me? If you wait to the moment of decision to make a decision, you will make a bad decision. Why? Because the power of your sexuality is so strong and so intoxicating that if you wait till that moment, you will... It's like, okay, anyways, it's not wise because you are going to be intoxicated by the moment. And if you wait till that moment to decide what will and won't be in your relationship, I know what will happen. Okay, so we all need to have guardrails, and there are two questions that often come up, so let's deal with them. This is the question, well, how far is too far? I know you've never asked that, but for a friend, you may want to (laughs) know. Let me just put it this way. Uh, The Bible doesn't come out, there's no verse, I can quote you, where it says, this is how far is too far when it comes uh, to uh, premarital physical interactions there is no scripture verse that tells us however there are some scriptures that give us principles that help us back into some pretty logical conclusions so let's look at one of those this is first Thessalonians 4 3 through 6 okay it is God's will okay this is you want to know God's will for your life aren't you glad you're here here's God's will for your life you ready Here's God's will for your life. It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. Okay, let me tell you what sexual immorality means. Sexual immorality, the word is pornea. Does that sound familiar? Okay, it's where we get the word pornography from. And it was a kind of a catch-all phrase for sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage, okay? So when you see sexual immorality, it's The word behind it is porneia, this kind of junk drawer term that kind of catches all the sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. So it says you should avoid that, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Okay, let me ask you a question. How many people want to marry someone who knows how to control their body? Would that be a, a, a pretty good thing? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, absolutely. You want to marry someone who knows how to control their body. Why do I say that? Because if they can't control their body when they're dating, what makes us under, or think that they're going to control their body later? And so this is one of the ways where we build the muscle of having control, right? And then it says this. And in this matter, no one should wrong. Or take advantage of a brother or sister. Okay, let me tell you what wrong or take advantage, how they could also be translated. Wrong could be translated to overstep proper limits. Okay, here's what you need to understand. In the Bible, there is no special category called dating. There is married and there is brother-sister. Okay, so (laughs) married has certain rights. To each other's body. Brother, sister does not. And what it is saying is, don't wrong or take advantage of a brother, sister. In other words, there's no like middle ground that gives you rights to their body when you date. That doesn't exist. So what Paul is saying is, don't reach over into married life and overstep the proper limits. Don't overreach. But understand, they're your brother or sister. And guess what? They marry may marry somebody in your core group, and it's not you. That could be. And here's the thing. Here's here's the question: If that happened, if they married another brother or sister in Chi Alpha, a, a, a young lady that you dated or a young man that you dated, could you go to that person and talk to them about how you didn't overstep or overreach into the territory that was going to be theirs? So it, just if you can imagine that moment, then that will lead you in the right direction. Are you guys following me? I don't have like a, a chapter and verse of a list of 18 things you can do and can't do, but it tells us not to overreach or overstep the proper limits of a brother or sister. Okay, one more verse. One more verse. Uh, Ephesians 5:3. This is Paul again. He says this. There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. These are improper for God's holy people. Let me just ask you a question. When you think of hint, what do you think of? Okay, that's a good place to start. And then I would probably like take one step back and put a boundary there. Like put a guardrail there. Because you don't want to put the guardrail in the ditch. Right? You want to put it on this side of the ditch, you know, so it keeps you out of the ditch. So when you think of, like, what's just a hint of sexual immorality? Like, just a hint of it, then put the guardrail before that. Because you don't want to just be a battering ram on the guardrail. Okay, let me just say it this way. It is unnatural to over and over again stir up. And arouse yourself sexually and then arrest it night after night. And so I want to encourage you, do not set the room on fire and expect not to get burned. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Don't set the room on fire and expect not to get burned. Because you'll get burned. You'll get burned. Okay? All right. so Amy's going to answer the second question. Uh, This is Another really good question. All right, Amy, help us out.
0: (laughs) Yes, so first, so as Pete shared, you got your personal boundaries of wanting to set your guardrail uh, on the conservative side of what came to your mind for a hint of sexual immorality. So now you're in a relationship and you guys are having your conversation about where your guardrail should be. And then the conversation is like, oh, well, her boundary might be more conservative than his boundary or vice versa. And so whose boundary wins? Whose guardrail wins? So we look to Romans 14.21 as a principle there for whose guardrail wins. And that shows us just this uh, principle of not wanting To have anything become a stumbling block for the other person is kind of that context of of what that scripture is talking about. So we use that that context to say, okay, so that means that the person with the more conservative guardrail wins because you don't want to do anything that would compromise or have that person go against their own conscience, right? Right? you want to do everything that you can to show value and honor and respect to that person. And the way that you do that in a dating relationship is that you help them to flourish and thrive in their relationship with God by following their conscience and following their boundary and their guardrail. And so that shows that you are truly caring for that person. And if you're pressing that, I'm going to say this frankly, And also in love, that means that you're being motivated by your own selfishness. And you just got to check yourself and bring it back, okay? That you have to love the other person and care about that other person, show that person that honor and respect, uh, that they can just be at peace and flourish and thrive in that way. And so you're looking at that and... You know, I love Corinthians as well first uh, corinthians thirteen seven right love protects, so you 're looking to protect that other person that um, because if you're if you 're going with and you 've all heard it that oh, we love each other, so this will be just fine no <laughs> that 's totally wrong because on this side of the altar, the way that you show love and honor and respect is to let that person thrive and flourish. And as Pete said, there's no in-between place, right? Your brother and sister on this side of the altar. And so you need to keep your relationship flourishing on that side so that if it doesn't lead to marriage, that you can bless that person um, in, in good conscience. And uh, so you're in relationship, your feelings are continuing to grow and develop. And you've been having conversation about your guardrails. You're all set. You guys have your conservative guardrails. And then you're growing in a relationship. And guess what? Those guardrails that you had set that you thought were like all good, all of a sudden what you're doing is more charged. And you're like, whoa, guess what you got to do? Have another conversation. (laughs) And you need to take another step back and rain your guardrails in a little bit to be more conservative. And you know what? You can take that as a backhanded compliment that your relationship is growing. And so <laughs> your relationship is healthy, and so you need to take a step back on your guardrails. That and just on a practical level, like Pete and I had to do this, and so it's just the way it rolls. Um, we'd had conversations and we'd set our guardrails, and then all of a sudden, um, it was like, "Oh, if there are any kisses around my neck, like that's just too charged. We gotta like rein that in." So Pete and I had to have that conversation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> DMI.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just trying to keep it real, keep it practical. And, um, you know what? and then, like, fast forward, we're engaged and um and again, like, we're thinking that we're we're our guardrails are good, they're in a in a great place, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, like when we're French kissing, that's like too charged and uh, <laughs> and again, had to have that conversation of like reining that in, and so for us, for our last six months of engagement, like we didn't French kiss, and so. That was a part of what we had to do to keep our <laughs> to keep ourselves in a in a good healthy place. And so, that's just keeping it real.
1: <laughs> Can you get more specific, please? <laughs> oh, man. You know how I felt in both of those conversations? <laughs> oh, man. All right, all right. We okay. So, what we're not saying is French kissing is sin. It is actually mentioned perhaps twice in Song of Songs, but I will say both times it's probably going somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And I'll also say this: when I French kiss my wife now, it's probably going somewhere. Like I don't just come home. No, I don't. No <laughs> No <laughs> you all are adults, you all are adults. okay, no, I, I, I say that I say that to just, hey, you, you guys I, we can keep it real, right?'re not what we're saying is we're not setting out like legal, legalism here, but we are saying you better obey your conscience because if it stirs something up that cannot be arrested easily. It may not be wise. Are you following me? So so I'm not trying to draw a line, where the, but I'm just, we're giving you examples. And here's what you need to know. When we were sharing those, we never thought we'd be speaking on this, okay? Like, she was going to be a registered dietitian. I was going to be a CPA. We weren't like, someday we're going to tell people about this. No! <laughs> I mean, I could walk you to where we were when she told me that we were not going to French kiss anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. All right, so... so so um, let me give you a few simple guidelines from 22 years on grounds and from having dated myself. I think these guidelines are good ones to consider. I'm not laying out law. I'm just saying good things to consider. Number one, don't take off clothes. That's a good one. Number two, don't put hands under clothes. That's another good one. Number three, stay vertical, not horizontal. That's, I know that's practical. That's, that's keeping it real. Like that will help you. That will help you. You stay vertical you know, versus horizontal. Okay. And number four. This is, this is a big one too. Don't shut the door of your bedroom. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. I hear anything. Okay, okay, all right, okay, all right. Okay. Here's what I just know. If you go past those things, you are going to be frustrated. You're going to battle temptation. You will probably end up in compromise in a place that you would call sin. So I'm not, I'm just saying four things that you should consider. Okay. Let me close with a story. When I was in college, I had a life-changing series of events that happened to me. Actually, right before I went to college, I'm sorry. I was in a relationship for three and a half years, and it was a very immoral relationship for the first two years. And I was still going to church on Sundays because as as long as you lived in my house, You know, underneath the roof of my parents, you were going to church on Sundays. And so, one Sunday night, in the middle of my immoral relationship, this woman who had been my Sunday school teacher when I was in like second grade, Marianne Harewood, came up and she said, Pete, today I was praying for you, and the Holy Spirit told me that you're supposed to go to church camp. And I went, huh, well, he didn't tell me. I Actually, no. I, what I said was, I'm sorry, I can't, I have to work. And she said, no you don't, my husband's your boss and you're off. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was working at this blue chip company called McDonald's and uh, her husband was the overseer of the three McDonald's in our area and she'd already talked to him, yeah, he can have off. And she said, in fact, I am so convinced that it was the Lord that I am, we're going to pay your way and we're going to pay your lost wages for the week. Okay, now when she went there, I was like, that's putting your money where your prophecy is. You know what I'm saying? Like, now I'm backed in a corner. I can't say, no, I don't want to go because I'm fornicating. You know, I can't say that. So I'm like, and here's what you need to know. It wasn't like get on the bus with the youth group. I grew up in this small country church. There was no youth group. It was like, no, drive yourself to camp by yourself. So that's what I did. I drove myself to camp by myself, and I get there. And across the stage, there's a stage, and it had this banner like massive white banner with just red letters, no, no graphics, this was the 90s, you know. And it said, said the greatest week of your life and like 1,000 font. The greatest week of your life. And so the, the guy get, gets up there and he said, this is going to be the greatest week of your life. And there's like 600 people there and 599 of them are going crazy. Yeah! And I was in the back with my arms folded. And I remember saying, fat chance. Fat chance. Well, fast forward to Tuesday, Tuesday night, the speaker, Sam Farina, was speaking, and he was speaking on this, he was using a, a movie that was a new release um, as, as a metaphor called The Lion King, <laughs> yeah, it was a new release, and I don't know what spiritual he got out of it, because anyways, it's not Christian, okay, uh, but he got, he was using it as a metaphor, and as he was talking, the conviction of the Holy Spirit came over me, and I began to weep in my seat. And he gives an altar call, and people go forward. It was just about, you know, repenting of your sin, you know, coming to Christ. It wasn't like over, you know, my, my story per se. But the, I just began to weep, and all of a sudden, as I'm weeping, this girl taps me on the shoulder. And I look back, I'm like, I don't know anyone. She taps me on the shoulder, and she said, do you want to go forward? I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) So I just stay in my seat. I'm still weeping. About five minutes later, she taps me on the shoulder again. I'm like, who is this? I later found out her name was Jenny. I had no idea who she was. She's like, are you sure you don't want to go forward? I'm like, okay. So I go forward, and I go to the front, and I raise my hands and surrender. And in that moment, I had an experience with God through the Holy Spirit that I'd never had in my life. I mean, it w- the, the power of the Spirit came on me and just reworked me. It was the most glorious moment of my life. And I didn't want it to stop, so I was just like, keep playing songs, please, you know, and just praying, and worshiping, and weeping, and it was powerful. The next day, my, we were so enslaved to each other. My girlfriend drove three and a half hours one way, maybe four and a half, three and a half, four and a half hours, one way, okay, to see me. I meet her at her car. We're walking to the dining hall, because on Wednesday nights they let people come, and she starts crying. And I said, what are you crying for? She said, you're not the same Pete I fell in love with. I said, you're right, I'm not. I had not told her what happened. She just, something's different. Well, she was so upset by the change that had happened in me that on the way home, she had to pull over on the side of the interstate to throw up because she was physically ill by the change that she saw in me. Well, that next day, well... um, Time actually, she came after what I'm getting ready to say. The next morning, after I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit, guess what the message was on? Sexual purity. And the guy was, you know, waxing eloquent on importance of being sexually pure. And I mean, I was just like, oh man, that's me. I really need this message. And then at the end, he gives the altar call. You know, so if you need to repent of sexual sin come forward. I'm like, what a gutsy altar call like in front of 600. If you are a fornicator, please come forward, make yourself known and get right with Jesus. I'm like, that was the kind of altar call he was giving, you know? I'm like, oh my goodness. And you know what? As soon as he opened the altars, I shot up and I kind of sped walk to the front because I did not care what anybody thought. Because I just wanted to be, to repent and to be restored and have the gospel impact this area of my life. And so, I mean, 599 people probably watched me walk up to the front. And I just poured out my heart and I, and I repented and I renounced. And I, and I asked God for strength to, to change and for his grace to, to cover me. And the power of the Holy Spirit to, to walk in a new way. Okay, so hold that thought. Fast forward several years. We had just moved to Charlottesville to start Chi Alpha and we just bought a house and when we were walking through the house to uh, to to do the final look over the house there was something we missed that we didn't see until we bought the house and what it was is we, we didn't look down into the tub, we looked down into the tub after we bought the house and I'm like oh my goodness, Amy come here and she looked, it looked there were these stains in the tub that were like, it looked like somebody had drug a deer in there and like clean the deer in the tub i mean just like splatter marks and just like i was like oh my goodness we did not see this when we were buying the house and no wonder they had the you know the sliding door shut you know the glass doors that we could see okay So then my mother-in-law comes over and she's like, is there anything that that I can do to help? I'm like, yes, can you try to clean that bathtub?" So she gets like the yellow gloves on and she's got the bleach and the cleaning supplies. And, and you know, she's just going for it and it is not coming out. I'm like, oh boy, that's going to be expensive. Well, something you need to know about me, I am very financially frugal, okay? Me and, uh, yeah, okay. So anyways. One Saturday, Amy's at the grocery store and I do what, you know, it's a normal thing to do on some Saturday when you don't know what else to do. You turn on the TV and there's an infomercial on. And I'm like, I got riveted by this infomercial called Restore 4. Okay, so... What they would do is they, they would take you to like one of those bathrooms in a gas station that you don't really want to use, but you have to go, so you have to go in. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, it's just dingy, it's nasty. The sink has got rust all over it. You like want to tiptoe and stay on the tile. You know what I'm talking about? You want to... Okay, it's one of those. And then like, they're like, come back in one hour and we'll show you how we can restore this. And I mean... You, one hour later, you know, they fast forward and they show you that bathroom. I mean, the, the grout sparkling, the tile's sparkling, the sink's sparkling, their teeth are sparkling. You're like, man, that's the, that Restore 4 stuff is awesome. And, and then they say this, why replace when you can restore? And so then they do another one of these demonstrations and they're, they're you know, everything's sparkling. And they're like, why replace when you can restore? And I'm thinking, yeah, my tub. Why replace when I can restore? Well, Amy's at the a, at the grocery store, and they're like, "If you call in the next thirty minutes, we'll give you not two bottles but four dollars or four bottles for for fifty dollars." I'm thinking she's not going to be home in time. I better call now. And so, so I call and I'm like, "Hey, yeah, I want. I, can I get some that restore for her, you know?" And they and I said, and "I get four bottles, four bottles because this in the thirty minutes." They're like, uh, "Okay." I realized everybody got four bottles, but anyways, that's beyond the point. And Amy comes home, and I said, uh, I have a confession. She said, what's that? I said, I bought an infomercial. She's like, what? I'm like, I did. And she said, what'd you buy? I said, soap. She's like, "Soap?" She's like, how much was it? Said $50. She said, no, you didn't. I was like, no, I can't. I was watching it said, you know, why replace when you can restore? And I was thinking, why would I replace when when we could restore? And I got four bottles. I couldn't wait. I could call and probably cancel it. It's not too late. She's like, okay. Well, four to six weeks later, (laughs) this little box shows up. I mean, this is before Amazon Prime, right? It's got these bottles of Restore 4. And it came with a little Brillo pad. I was like, it's time. <laughs> Put the little top on, little spray bottle. And I go in there. It says all you have to do, spray and just rub gently. I'm like, wow. So I take this stuff, you remember it. And I spray it on there. I start to rub gently. (laughs) I can't believe my eyes. It's coming out. It's coming out. Why replace when you can restore? I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I just, oh my, what? It's coming out. And I thought to myself, it's like the blood of Jesus. What What? nothing else could, I mean, we tried everything, everything, but this stuff, I mean, it just touched it and just, just the, and it started to lift these deep stains that were embedded in there that you didn't think would ever come out because you tried everything Else, And that is what the blood of Jesus, I mean, these stains that you think you're just going to carry around with you forever, that whatever you try, you just can't get rid of, that when the blood of Jesus touches those places of sin and brokenness and guilt and shame, it just starts to bring it out. Because if God had a business card, I think it would say, creates and restores. We ask the worship team to come very quietly. Isaiah one hundred eighteen says this that though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Can I tell you what it doesn't say? Though your sins are scarlet, I can make you white as a peach. No. It doesn't just get out some of the sin and some of the shame and some of the guilt. No, it purifies completely. Lifts the sin and the shame And years later, when Amy and I walked down the aisle and exchanged vows, what we knew is we'd both been restored. Not white as a peach, white as snow. And her dress, beautiful white dress, was an outward picture of what the blood of Christ had done in our lives. Why replace when you can restore? You know, when you read the Bible you'll actually find Jesus interact with sexually broken people more than you would imagine. But you always get one resounding response. Whether it be the woman at the well who he offers living water to. Whether it be the woman caught in the act of adultery that's thrown at his feet. Or whether it be the prostitute who comes and weeps at his feet. He always treats them with dignity offers them grace empowers them to live differently and then this is what he says to the prostitute he says go in peace go in shalom go in flourish go in your restoration go in peace Not go in shame, but go in peace. So as we close tonight, we're just going to take a few minutes and submit our sexuality to the Lord. For some of you, you need the Lord to restore you. And tonight is your night if you want to come forward like i came forward feel free if you want to turn and kneel in your chair then i would encourage you to do it if you want to go to the back and just kneel before the lord then i would encourage you to do it but tonight i would encourage you if this is you if you are in this your story resembles mine and amy's then i would encourage you to to pray prayers of repentance, to pray prayers of renouncing soul ties from things in your past that the Lord would pull those ties away and pray prayers of restoration that God would restore you. And so some of us need to pray restoration type prayers tonight. A lot of us here tonight just need to pray consecration prayers tonight and say Lord I just want to consecrate this area of my life to you that you would be glorified and I would flourish as a result and so as we will you go ahead and stand as we close we're going to have some time to pray restoration prayers or consecration prayers whatever you need tonight but i know this there's probably no one in here tonight who doesn't need to pray and here's what i know as you bring this to the lord you'll be met with grace and there is power in the sacrifice of christ in his blood to do whatever you need him to do tonight so if you want to come forward, please come forward. If, don't be bashful. No one's going to judge. If you want to turn and, and kneel at your chair, then I encourage you to do that. If you want to go to the back and kneel or come up in front and kneel, let's just take a moment. I've asked the worship band. They're going to play a song, but they're not going to sing it right away. And then they're going to start singing. And when you're ready to, to stop praying and start singing, do that. But please, let's all take a few moments and just spend time with God tonight. Lord, as we go into this time, I pray that your spirit would meet people tonight like you met me, where you reoriented my heart's desires, where, where you gave me a fresh power of the spirit to follow you. Lord, we can't do it on our own. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and meet people in these next few moments like you met me. For your glory and their good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just start to pour out your heart. Lord, I pray for us tonight that as we exit tonight, we would exit in the grace of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that people who came in with shame would walk out with their heads held high knowing that that they are not white as a peach but white as snow that the righteousness of Christ has covered them, has cleansed them. I pray people who walked in with soul ties would walk out free from those soul ties that you are making them whole, that you are restoring them. People who came in struggling in the power of their flesh would walk out in the power of the Holy Spirit to to honor you and to glorify you in this area. That Tonight would be a turning point, by the grace of God and the and the Spirit's power. Lord, I look forward in years to come of hearing testimonies of things that you launched tonight by your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God who restores. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God who redeems. Why replace what you can restore? Thank you, Lord. Like Jesus. Make us more like Jesus. We're going to do something, we're going we're gonna to dismiss if you need to go. But can we do the last song we sang, the grace song that you? you sang Paul the three number, song number yeah you know what I'm talking about okay I, I, here, here's the reason why if you want to go no shame feel, you, you may need to go but if you just want to continue to saturate just for, for one more song we'll just have a little bit more time does that sound alright but if you need to go you know no, no, no shame let me give the benediction and then we're just going to worship a little bit longer if, if you're so inclined if not feel free to dismiss yourself May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. If you need to leave, feel free to leave. The worship is going to play one more song if you want to stay.
0: Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.